If you have your Bibles, let's get to it. Hope you do. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible, John is the fourth Gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It was probably written last and unique among the four. We're going to be in John chapter 12, um, directly after uh, what Isaac was giving you this morning in terms of the narrative of Jesus entering Jerusalem on his way to die and this last week of his life that we call Holy Week, leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Um, So we'll read a good chunk of text here, and then I will just kind of pick some spots to dive back into it with you. Uh, read along with me, John 12, starting in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is coming, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done many si- so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes And understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask your forgiveness for our unbelief this week, not taking you at your word, hardening our hearts, stiffening our necks in many ways, choosing or to believe in something or someone other than you. We are thankful that in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, our debt is paid. All of our sins, conscious and unconscious, were taken by him at the cross, expiated from us. 
taken from us and considered as belonging to him. And he propitiated, he absorbed the punishment justly for those sins so that we could have restoration, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, one day soon, glorification. It's all from Jesus. And we give you praise and we give you honor. And may you turn our hearts to focus on you, Lord Jesus, most worthy of subjects this week. Holy Spirit, we pray you come now, speak to us, move among us, shape us into the image of Christ, for we cannot do it ourselves. Weak, helpless, Lord, we need you so much. So would you come now, would you be among us in power and glory? Remind us, remind us again of the glory that we have from God in Jesus Christ through the gospel. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things that I love to see is people making it to the end as Christians. Is that encouraging? Whether they're young or old, when they die, they follow Jesus to the end. They didn't give up. That's like rocket fuel for me when I see that happen because it's like maybe I will be that person. I hope I am. I pray I am. But I love to see that. Someone going home to be with the Lord who actually followed the Lord and on their deathbed says, my only hope in life and in death is that Jesus loves me. It's so encouraging. As Carrie and I get older, we have found that more and more people who at one time confessed to be Christians are not anymore. They're not making it. They're not making it home. A lot of reasons for that. Uh, I know it's anecdotal in our life. That's just what we've seen. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you haven't. But the longer we know people, the more we seem to to, to be fine, and it breaks our hearts because we want them to get home. We want them to get all the way there. So why does that happen? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is illustrated by the triumphal entry, where we are today, Palm Sunday. Jesus entering Jerusalem one week before his death, and the reason is this. People get really excited about Jesus but on their own terms, on their own terms, I'm happy to have Jesus in my life if who Jesus is is who I want him to be. If he's the kind of God that I can get behind personally, that I like, that I want, but when my will meets his will, and there's a clash, we disagree, well, I'm out. I didn't sign up for that. You're supposed to give me streets paved with gold. I'm not supposed to have to be a living sacrifice and carry my cross. And usually suffering brings this out in people's lives. It tests you. Are, are you in it really? Jesus is your treasure or do you just want treasure from Jesus? And it's illustrated here when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the, his whole ministry, but particularly this last week, people are more interested in using him than serving him. They like to debate who he is rather than submit to him. 
They want to define Jesus. They don't want to let him define himself. You find it all through the Gospels. Can we get him to be more political? No, that's not working. Can we get him to be more moral and traditional? Stop hanging around with really bad people? No, that's not working. Maybe we just need to kill him. Maybe he's too big of a problem. He's not playing by the rules. He's not doing what we want. We don't understand his kingdom. And people have been doing that ever since. I'm interested in Jesus on my terms. But if you won't play by my rules, if you won't abide my preferences for how I want to live, I'm out. Don't let that be you. We have to get to know the real Jesus. Because the problem problem is, kings don't make suggestions. They give commands. It's not, (laughs) what the Bible is, is not like, take it or leave it. Pick out some parts you like, pick out some parts you don't. It's a message from the king of kings, and you don't get to choose. You know, a king worthy of your worship, you can't buy him. You can't buy him off. You can't mm, manipulate him. That's not, a, that's not a God worthy of your worship. If he's divine Santa Claus just giving you goodies, why would you worship him? That's not a God worthy of your worship. That, that, that's a weak, needy, bribable God, corrupt. A God truly of your worship, worthy of your worship needs to be holy other than you. Altogether wise, holy, gracious, loving. Not like you in the, in the ways that really count. And I promise you, you want Jesus on his own terms. You want Jesus on his own terms. He is the son of the living God. He is the first and the last. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the rock. He is the bread of life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the holy one of Israel. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Those are pretty good terms. Aren't they? Praise God we don't need to change Jesus because he doesn't need to be changed. He's perfect in all his glory and beauty. You can have him, all of him, if you're willing to take him on his terms and not yours. And believe me, his terms are better. A covenant of grace. A gospel of good news. That's how he comes to you. If you will receive him, if you will take him on his terms and not try to change him to be more like you. This is as simply as I can say it. He doesn't need to change. You do. I do. We reverse that in our sin. If you have a problem with God, it means you're the problem. Imagine, I mean, don't imagine too too much, but curating a spouse, like choosing, like a build a spouse, you know? I can pick and choose the characteristics that I like and don't like. I'm, <laughs> that was something. I'm interested in, in uh, uh, I'm interested in you, but that thing you do when you chew, that biting, like that sound, I can't do it. 
Oh, and I really don't like people telling me I'm wrong. I don't go for that. And if you expect me to do sort of household chores, that I'm like, I'm not down with that either. So I just want to be clear, like, not interested, but that's what it means. That's not love. That's not trust. That's hurtful. Imagine how Jesus feels when we play curate a savior, build a savior. Just a little, little more, pinch more of this, Jesus, a little bit less of that. A little more love talk, a little less hell talk. Okay? A little more prosperity for me and my family, a little less cross-carrying. Just, just kind of that works for me. Here's where the analogy breaks down. He's perfect. So there's that. Okay? In, in our marriages, a spouse, okay, we're both two sinners trying to do life. We have to sacrifice. We have to put up with each other. We have to, okay, accommodate. Jesus doesn't have that issue. He's perfect. We're a mess. And yet he comes to us and says, I see you in your brokenness. I'm attracted to you because you're a mess. And I see what you could become, and I'm all in. I'm all in for you. So actually, he should be the one picking us apart and rebuilding us rather than us doing that to him. He's amazing. Is, is Jesus not amazing? Why would you ever want to change someone this good? You've never met anyone this good. You've, every person that you've met, it's like, okay, I can pick this flaw out. There's no flaws. You meet him, there's nothing. There is nothing you can pick out. But some of you are trying. You're resisting the real God, the real Jesus. And you hear it when sentences start with, so to me, God is fill in the blank. Well, the God that I know, fill in the blank. What I really like about Jesus, but I don't, that tells me you are not taking Jesus on his own terms. You're trying to make him take you on your terms. Better to say, what I find in Scripture is, what he has revealed to me is, what he has done in my life is, I know him. I know him. Underneath that way of thinking is pride. It's really, really arrogant. Are you, it's really arrogant to tell your creator, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not liking what I'm hearing. I, I, I'm not, it's not working for me. And God is so patient. Even at this moment, if that's been your heart, that is your heart, he's calling you to believe. He's saying there's still time. You can humble yourself. You can receive me right now. On his terms, which are better than our terms, always. So here's what I want to do today. Through this passage, I want to show you five ways we try to have Jesus on our terms, demands that we make. <laughs> Be more like this, God. 
And then how Jesus answers that with something better. Something better than what we can cook up. Number one, I want a life of health and comfort. This is one of our objections, okay, to the Almighty. I want a life of health and comfort. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Now, I think we should probably read that more as a prayer, like in the other Gospels in the garden. Save me from this hour. Let this cup pass. I think that's how we should probably read it. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Not my will, but yours be done. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus answers, what is best for you is to glorify God with your life. I want health. I want comfort. No, better to glorify God with your life. Now, it's not wrong to pray the first half of that prayer. Father, save me from this affliction. It's good. That's good to ask. It's especially good for an innocent man, literally innocent, to ask that. Father, spare me from unjust suffering. No, that's good. It's good to lament. It's good to pray the first half of this prayer. But I wonder how often we pray the second half. If your purpose is for me to suffer, glorify your name. How often do we pray that? How often do we pray, yet not my will, but yours be done? I wonder how many hearts see God as a divine butler who exists to just get you what you want. You know, you need something, he goes and gets it. Fetch. Main job is to give you health, comfort at all times. And we hear it in our prayers, don't we? Our prayers reveal our heart. And we hear it in our prayers. Lord, let us have a good day. Just a good, 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 good day. The good day prayer. Lord, would you heal second cousin Larry's foot infection? We really want that. Lord, would you make this food taste good? Your parents are good cooks. It's going to taste good. Lord, would you help us to have fun at the birthday party? I think you're probably going to have fun at the birthday party, okay? I'm not saying don't pray for little things, simple things. I'm not saying don't pray for second cousin Larry. He probably needs your prayers, okay? What I'm saying is, maybe those prayers can include the second half of Jesus' prayer. Lord, whatever shape it takes today, glorify your name through my life. Even if that means I suffer. Your kids might fall out of their chair. You pray that prayer. Lord, grant us as a family doors open for sharing the gospel. Lord, help me to embrace my weakness so that your grace might show as strong. Do we pray like that? That's how Jesus prays. Whatever it is, my, my main desire is to glorify your name. And that often comes through hard things. Sometimes it comes through happy things, great things. A lot of times it doesn't. Here's some good news. Listen to me. 
God's purpose in your life is so much greater than your health and comfort. <laughs> it is to glorify his name. That is good news. What a boring life. If it's just all about you fat and happy. You with money, you with no, no, no troubles, everything's going, Lord, let it go smooth. I just want to get rid of that word. His purposes are so much greater for you than that. If you'll receive them, if you'll embrace them. This week we had a heartbreaking shooting in Nashville. Just devastating. And from all accounts that I've read, the head of school who was shot and killed was a wonderful Christian woman. Just a beautiful Christian woman. There's stories of her. Uh, I heard a story of her years ago where, where a family uh, uh, ran over their child with their car, and she just moved toward them in that moment. She was with them. She prayed with them. She just stuck with them in their grief, in their hardship. And from what I've read, when she started to hear shots in the school, she's on a Zoom call, she's in her office, and what did she do? She moved toward that situation. She did not prioritize her own health, her own safety. She didn't hide under her desk. She got up. And she either tried to physically stop the shooter or to talk them down. How Christ-like is that? She didn't waste her life. She spent it on heavenly glory. How, what did Jesus do? In our distress, he steps in front and takes the bullet for you. Her heart was to glorify God, to give her life away for God. Not to save it. Not to save it. And so she found it. She's home. She has a crown. And I want to be more like that. The only question that matters every day in the end what will glorify God most? Every morning, what will glorify God most? You're going to have a good day if that's your prayer. Friends, this is your true purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Not to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable. Yes, are you tracking with that? I need some nods. I need, I need to know you're tracking. Number two, I want my kind of people in the church. Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Jesus answers that demand. You need all kinds of people in the church. All kinds of people. Now, Jesus isn't a universalist. Not everyone is going to heaven. You can't read the Bible. You can't read the Gospels. You can't read anything here and come to that conclusion. What he means is I am drawing all kinds of people without distinction to myself. I am saving them. I'm going to save them through the cross. 
he is not saying, I am drawing all people without exception to myself. You following that? So all people are called to come to Jesus, all kinds of people, but not everyone does. That's what he's saying. And what it means is, Jesus died for a lot of people who aren't like you. (laughs) People uh, who maybe scare you, make you nervous, make you uncomfortable. So for awkward teenage boys, boys, that means girls. Jesus did die for girls. Okay, you have to talk to them. You have to look at them. You can't run away. Okay, they're, 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 Jesus died for them. He loves them. If you're a Christian, you're united in Christ, okay? For, other, for, you know, for the rest of us, maybe other kinds of people that scare us, that uh, uh, make us uncomfortable. They might speak a different language. Their skin color is different. Their sin struggles are different. Their culture Uh, Their church culture is different. Apart from God changing my heart, I like people like me. The way I do it is the way you should do it. Hmm? The things I like are the things you should like. That's just how I'm wired. That's how we are wired. We fear the unknown. It scares us. We think very highly of how we speak. You You know English is a really weird language. It gets weak. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we, got, we got any English majors in the house? Okay, it's weird. All right? And there's no English in the Bible. I mean, an English translation, but God didn't write it in English. Just, okay, for clarity, Hebrew, Greek, spoken, New Testament, Aramaic. How we look. We, we think very highly of how we look. We take uh, Aramaic-speaking Middle Eastern Jesus and we turn him into Matthew McConaughey. We do. Look at him. Okay? Carrie was giving blood recently. She's in an auditorium. I don't know where she was. And she's kind of nervous about it. And she looks up, and there's a portrait of Jesus to comfort her. And he is, like, bursting through his clothes, you know, just chest, like, puffed out. His hair is feathered and wavy. He's just like, uh, you know, just, just P90X Jesus is supposed to comfort her. It's like. No, first of all, he's white. That's wrong. But this is what we do. Like, people paint paintings like that because they know we'll buy them. Because he looks like us. Because I, I'm into working out, and that, like, I like my Jesus like that. It didn't comfort her, by the way, okay? Kind of, like, freaked her out. It's weird. We think highly of how we do church and culture. So, you know, you walk into a black church, it's like, what are these people getting so animated about? Why are their hands all raised? Why are they clapping? Why are they talking back to the preacher? Uh, (laughs) We probably could use a little more of that. We consider our sin struggles as normal and respectable compared to the sin struggles of others we find weird. How could you struggle with same-sex attraction? It's just weird. Why can't you have normal sin struggles like me? You know, greed, pride gluttony, you know, the good ones. Why can't, why can't you be more like that? It's how we think. The radical unity we have in Jesus Christ, it breaks down those barriers. Jew and everybody else, Gentile, male and female, slave and free, one in Christ Jesus. One, one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. Those distinctions are real. 
Those things are real. But they have been broken down in Jesus Christ so that you can be bonded and unified to people who are so different than you in the deepest possible way. We are united as Christians in the deepest possible way. We will be with each other forever in Christ Jesus. We are branches attached to the vine together. It's amazing. So maybe, maybe if Jesus loved those people who are very different than you and scare you enough to die for them, maybe you need them. Maybe we should approach those differences with a little more humility, openness. Maybe I have something to learn and I don't just need to teach you. Here's how you do it. Number three. It's going to get tough now. I want a triumphant Christian nation. I want a, Jesus, that's what I want, a triumphant Christian nation. Verse 34. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. Uh, what we thought you were doesn't seem to be who you are you're talking about dying. No, you're supposed to live forever and, like, lead us into triumph. Lead our nation into triumph. Jesus says, well, my kingdom comes through the cross, not the White House. It is not of this world. People got excited because they thought this was like a take-back-the-government moment when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. This is political triumph. This is mega. Make Israel great again. That's what they thought. Okay, let's get back to the law. Let's get back to the prophets. Let's get back to the land, the temple, David, Solomon. You know, those are the great presidents for them. This is who we need to get back to. And Jesus just keeps on disappointing everybody. Like, yeah, I, I'm kind of here to die. I'm kind of here to give my life as a ransom for many. That's sort of my mission. That's the will of my Father that I'm obeying and doing. And they're like, so you're not going to fix the political situation? He's like, no, I'm going to fix the sin, death, and hell situation. It's a little bigger problem for you. Many, many professing Christians don't want that Jesus. They just don't. They want the Jesus draped in the flag, not the Jesus draped in blood and a crown of thorns. They want a triumphant America more than they want the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Many professing Christians sound a lot like these Jews. We have heard you're going to restore America to its former glory. We have heard you're going to give us a permanent moral majority. That's what we've heard that you do, God. And it's just flat out unbiblical. Just is. Russell Moore says it this way, and you get pay attention. The illusions of Christian America are no, no more immune than the illusions of Israelite Galilee. Same thing in our hearts. If we see the universe as the Bible sees it, we will not try to reclaim some lost golden age. We will see an invisible conflict of the kingdoms, a satanic horror show being invaded by the reign of Christ. This will drive us to see who our real enemies are, and they are not the cultural and sexual prisoners of war all around us. 
In other words, people struggling with sin, enslaved to it, it's not your enemy. They're not your enemies. Culture wars, it's not your enemy. Political wars, not your true enemy. It's the kingdom of darkness. That's your enemy. The gospel itself gives us a vision of the kingdom in which the swords of the spirit and the state are kept separate until the king himself appears to end this suspension of judgment and to make the nations his footstool. God's kingdom triumph is proven not by our electoral success or our cultural influence, but in the resurrection of the world's rightful ruler. That is our triumph. And I love America. Like, I've lived in another country for a long period of time. I've been around the world, and I love this country. I wanted to come home. I love being here. I love so many things about this country, but I am only a good American when I am a Christian first. I can only be the best American citizen I can be when I am a, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first. America second. That is so much better. That is so much better than uh, uh, my focus is on a triumphal America. Which kingdom will last forever? Number four, I want to be told I'm right. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Who's he? Jesus. And spoke of him. Now, I'd love to get to everything in this paragraph. Uh, I'd love to talk about God's sovereignty. I'd love to talk about the fulfillment of prophecy. I'd love to talk about context with Isaiah. I can't do that today. The main thing I want you to hear Jesus saying is this. You're wrong. You're wrong. Humanity. Your nature, your choices, your life. Wrong. It's all wrong. (laughs) Only when we hear the bad news of who we really are can we receive the good news of who he really is. You have to hear that you're wrong. That's the only way it can get flipped in Christ and you become right. Show of hands, how many of you like to be told you're wrong? Okay, I brought a pencil up here. I was ready to write names down. I don't. Okay, I get nasty over little things. Do not bring up that I got the directions wrong when we're driving someplace or it's not going to be pretty. Okay, I don't want to hear it. Don't bring it up. You got to... Either when I'm quiet, that's when you know, you know, like you don't say anything. I kind of am wrong, but I don't want to show it. We had a life group with some college students this week. It was fantastic. And one of my big takeaways from the time with them is that they described a culture on campus where if anyone disagrees with you, if anyone tells you that you're wrong or even hints that you're wrong, 
they are labeled as toxic. And you just cut them out of your life. You cut them off, you know, social media, you cut them, you don't, you, you know, you see them and you go the other way. I just don't even want to deal with you because you made me feel I might be wrong. But what if you are wrong? How do you learn and grow as a person if you surround yourself with clones? People who are just like you, who agree with you on everything, who will never tell you you're wrong. Same is true with God. You can only become the person you are meant to be if you have a relationship with God where he tells you the truth. You're wrong on this and this and this. But it's okay. I'm going to help you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to go to work on you. That's the God of the Bible who will tell you the truth about who you really are, but he loves you so much. He will come into your life and help you to change. So it's scary. It's scary to find out, "Mm, I don't really even want to know that about myself, but it's beautiful because you're safe in him. He says, come to me, bring it all, bring all the baggage, bring all your mess. I can handle it. I'll take it and I'll get to work on you because I love you. Hosea 11, this happens often in the prophets. The Lord lists Israel's sin, and it's, it's, it's bad. He says they are bent on turning away from him in their heart. It's really bad. And how does he respond? I don't do that. I don't work with that kind of person. I don't know. He says, my heart has changed within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Sickness is what attracts a doctor's compassion. Not health. Sickness. You're safe. You're safe. Some of you are hiding. You're safe. Come out into the light. I've been going to physical therapy recently, which just means I sign up for an hour of pain and suffering every week. And it's been great. I mean, painful. And when I first went in, it was like bad news. You know, all right, like, what's the deal? Give me the diagnosis. You have frozen shoulder. Now, I don't even know what that means, but it did not sound good that your shoulder probably should not be frozen, but mine was apparently. And even though I got that bad news, Charity, who is amazing, told me that, and then she's like, yeah, but there's hope. We'll get to work on you. You'll be all right. And she started to work on me. And that truth and that pain over time has brought about healing. That was good of her to tell me the truth. It would not have been good of her to say, you know, I don't want to offend you. um, So yeah, I think everything's fine. You're good just the way you are. No, no thanks. Like, I got a problem. I know I do. Jesus is like that. Jesus is like that. He's willing to tell you the truth about your problems, and they are manifold. But he also loves you enough to say, all right, let's dig in. I'm ready. I committed to you. I'm in. All the way, I'm going to help you. I'm going to heal you. Only reason you come to the doctor is if you got an issue. I'm the great physician, so let's get to work. 
If you let him, he will heal you. Don't stiff arm him. I don't want to hear it. It's too toxic for me. And let me just say this before we move to the last point. If you come across something in your Bible, if you hear something in a sermon that I've learned a new phrase from you guys, steps on your toes, receive that with humility and openness. Now, your heart is going to want to push back. I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. Maybe, maybe it's the great physician diagnosing something in your heart that needs to be healed and changed. Our intuition in those moments is to dig in, defend ourselves, claim that we're right. Jesus must be wrong. I'm not saying a preacher can't ever say anything wrong, and you, know, you have to be discerning, all that. But if it's true from the Word of God, and you see it in the Word of God, maybe it's for you. Maybe it's you and not God that has the problem. I think that's freeing. I think that's loving. Number five, I want human approval more than God's approval. Verse 42, 43. Nevertheless, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear, fear of man, the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus answers, if you have my approval, you are free from letting the opinions of others control you. Wouldn't that be sweet? Just free. What these, people's, what these people are missing and what they missed and what many of us miss is that if you have God's approval in Jesus Christ, you're free. You don't need glory from man. <laughs> what is man? Who is? It's so tangible and so real, though, when we get it, isn't it? It's like, it's just, it's like a drug. It just feels good for many of us to get that affirmation, to get that approval. But if you have the glory that comes from God, he pronounces glory upon you, puts weight on your life and acceptance, approval, and you're free. You're free. You have everything. If you have the approval of your heavenly Father through faith in Jesus Christ by his grace. You don't have to crave recognition. And you don't have to fear recognition. This is the flip side. You don't have to get puffed up when you look in the mirror, and you don't have to cringe either. That's freedom in the gospel. Some of you love the approval of others. You do. More than God's at times, at least. That's pride. He wants to set you free. Some of you fear the approval of others. It's very hard for you, and you know who you are, to take a compliment. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, that's not me. No, no. It's very hard for you to be recognized for anything. If I said, stand up, be recognized, you'd be like, that's pride too. Because it's about you. It's about you. Jesus wants to set you free from both. So you don't crave recognition and approval, and you don't fear it. You're just free. You're not really thinking about yourself anymore. <laughs> You're not so worried, like, what are everyone going to think? You're just focused on God and other people. You're free. 
I get to enjoy my life. I get to enjoy Jesus today. I get to enjoy other people. Whatever he calls me into, if he wants to encourage me, great. If he wants to criticize me because I need to hear something, great. I know who I am. I know who I am. The cross tells me who I am, a great sinner, but now a saint. Unholy, but now made holy. Orphan, now adopted. That's who I am. My baptism tells me who I am. And I'm free. Isn't that better? Isn't that better? Craving, just letting other people dictate your life. You don't have to. So, as we enter Holy Week, as we're thinking about Jesus over the next week or so, very intently, receive him as he is. Take him on his own terms. He gives himself to you so that your jo- his joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your only begotten your greatest treasure, your son, to take our place on the cross. We thank you that there's an empty tomb. Lord, prepare our hearts now to meditate and think on these things. Prepare our hearts for Good Friday, for Easter Sunday. Lord, and I pray that as the Spirit is moving, whatever has landed on these brothers and sisters, whatever is, is pressing on their heart, they would take to you now in this time of communion. Really, it is a communion with you. It is fellowship with you through this holy meal. And so we pray that you would move and you would work. I can't do it. I can't make anything happen in anyone's heart. We just ask for you to do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.